0: This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Uh, when I hear the name Abraham, uh, my first thought normally goes to Abraham Lincoln. right He was the 16th president of the United States. And he was known for many things, uh, but what's what's Abe's nickname? If you read the bulletin, you know the answer: Honest Abe. And so I was I was thinking about Abraham because we're studying Abraham, and I thought, well, did, was he really honest? Right? He's a politician, which we don't normally think of as, as being honest. And so I went back and did a little bit of uh, a little bit of research. But he was he had been given this name. In fact, his uh, his biographer, one of his biographers, Richard. Uh, Kowardine says this, The nickname Honest Abe was not the fabrication of party publicists, but a mark of the universal respect in which he was held as a lawyer of scrupulous honesty. A lawyer of scrupulous honesty. God bless all the lawyers in our midst. All right, here we go. Come on, let's not beat up on the lawyers. It says, he says, This reputation spilled into the political arena, where he was widely perceived as just and fair-minded in debate and adverse to gaining an advantage by foul means. Lincoln himself wrote this, Resolve to be honest at all events, and if in your own judgment you cannot be an honest lawyer, resolve to be honest without being a lawyer. Huh? That's good. Uh, he was so honest, it said, that even his most fierce rival at one point in his life, his political opponent, Stephen Douglas, said this, I shall have my hands full, because he was concerned that the Republicans had chosen Lincoln to run against him for the Senate in 1858. I shall have my hands full. He is a strong man of his party, full of wit, facts, dates, and the best stump speaker with his droll ways and dry jokes in the West. He is as honest as he is shrewd. And if I beat him, my victory will be hardly won. Don't we live in a different political climate today than we did back then? I'm sure it was complicated and there was arguments and whatnot, but man, it seems like a different time. It was, but 150 years ago. Now, there's a a significant departure but here's the thing, this is a historic example that when we're thinking about honesty, if we look into Abraham Lincoln's life, we see this person is an honest person. Now, I doubt that he was perfect. But it's possible for someone to be a lawyer and be honest. It's possible for someone to be a president or to run for office and be honest. It's possible for someone to be a pastor, to be a teacher, to be an office worker, to be a family member and to be honest. But think about this, Abraham has probably been the most famous person in America with the name Abraham for 150 years. And that seems like a long time to us, doesn't it? 150 years is a long time. I'm almost 100, but it seems, seems like a long time. But here's the deal. For thousands of years, thousands of years, the most famous Abraham is the one that Paul tells us about in the letter to the church in Rome. Right? And Paul is concerned to encourage the church in Rome. He wants to, to build them up. He wants to help them to know what it means to follow Jesus in such a way that they will transform the entire city and essentially transform the entire world. And so Paul decides to give them a specific example of what he's talking about, and he decides to use the other Abraham, the original Abraham, the O.G., the Father of many nations Now Abraham appears to us first in the early part of the Bible in the book of Genesis as one who is called to leave his family and go to another place. He is a, a revered figure all throughout the Bible and now Paul is giving us this example by, by pointing us to Abraham. He's been sharing with us all this teaching about who God is and how we relate to God, and he gives us this specific. Example of a person to especially the Jewish people would have been the most famous person that they would have known. Obviously, David and Moses, the big the big characters in the Bible, but everyone would have known Abraham. And he's wanting to bring to life this teaching that he's been offering to us. He's wanting to give us an example. He's wanting to illustrate how do you actually live by faith in the midst of a world. That you live in Whether you're living in the city of Rome, whether you're living in the land of Ur, as Abraham did, or you're living in the city of Memphis in 2021, how do you live by faith? And so he gives us an example of what this looks like. I think one of the reasons why Paul gives this example is because he's obviously one of the most significant people to the people who understood the Bible in any way. And he wants to show them that for a long time, for all time, people have been relating to God in the same way. We've been relating to God by grace. And so a few years ago, we did a sermon series called Ancient Grace that really highlighted this reality that, that we're... It, sometimes people think, oh, well, the Old Testament is the book of the law and you keep the law, but then Jesus came and now we relate to Jesus by grace. But Abraham's going to show for us, and that sermon series a couple years ago showed for us, that we're always relating to God by grace. This is not a new idea. I think this is important. Another reason, because Abraham was famous. He wanted them to know about living under grace, because Abraham was famous, but he also wanted the people of Rome to know, hey, this is not a new thing. This idea of uh, living by faith is not something new, because you could have easily imagined, here comes the Apostle Paul, and he's teaching, and there are other people, there are people in the church going, oh, Paul, tell me more, this is great, I want to hear about it. But there are other people saying, no, 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 that's not how you relate with God. That's not exactly how you do it. This guy, Paul, he's wrong. But here, He's wanting to highlight for us, this is how God has been relating to his people uh, all the time. And so he shares with us uh, this example. When you think about it, even though it's an old thing, it's actually completely revolutionary. That God would create the universe and he would create his people and he would interact with them by grace. Because for most of us, relationships are often transactional. Meaning, you know, you do something for me, and I'll do something for you. And when the time comes for me to not need you, then I'll move on to find someone else to do the thing for me that I need done. Right? I remember when I lived in Orlando, there was a Winn-Dixie near my apartment. And I went to the Winn-Dixie begrudgingly. You know, the motto was the beef people, but I just didn't really like Winn-Dixie too much. And then a new Publix opened up. Publix. I just want to commend to you, as I did my sister Lynn, when you go to Publix, get a loaf of White Mountain bread for yourself and eat it all. It's so good. When we go to Florida or wherever we find a Publix, we go in, Brandy goes in, comes out with six loaves of bread. Because we did it one loaf at a time, and that just caused too much tension. Just get the whole loaf, sit there and eat it. Awesome. Anyway, when a new Publix came, I did not go to the manager of Winn-Dixie and say, by the way, I want to thank you for giving me foods and and vegetables for all my life and sustaining my health. I now am going to be going to Publix. I just was like, I'm going to Publix because you, Winn-Dixie, are dead to me. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Winn-Dixie is a great brand. All the people who are following online, my many thousands of followers, um, (laughs) my mom, thank you. No, but you know what I'm saying it's transactional if it works for me for the time I'll do it but here what God is saying to us is that our relationship with him is not transactional and God is not in relationship with us for anything that we can do for him he doesn't need us That's an astounding thing, right? God created us, and he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to know us, and he desires that we reflect his glory, but he doesn't need us to do that, right? He has enough glory within himself, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have existed eternally, and they don't need us, and yet God has created us, and he wants us to be in relationship with him because it gives him glory, but you know what it also does? It helps us to be the people that we were created to be. See, the Bible is not just a book of uh, rules that we're supposed to follow. That's a religion. Christianity, following Jesus, is not a religion. It's called the way. It's it's a way of life. You see, religion says, here are the rules, and you keep the rules, then you're in good standing with God. And if you don't keep the rules, you're in bad standing with God. And so just make sure that you keep more of the rules than you break so that you can keep your relationship with God. But that's not how it works. that's, That's what religion says. Here are the laws, whatever your book is, right? If it's the Bible, uh, if it's the big book, if it is uh, some other religious book, sacred text, it's keep the rules. And then, of course, the other way of living in the world is this, the, this idea of, well, I'm not religious. I don't have a religion. I'm irreligious. And that, that, that way of life says, oh, man, you just get rid of this. This is, this is dusty. We don't need that anymore. I'm just going to make up my own way, right? Because I, I, I'm the one who gets to decide how things ought to be. The more we can. The problem with the world is all the rules. And the way you really find life in this life is to get rid of those things and to find yourself and to make your own way. And man, that's going to be awesome. Until it isn't. Because essentially what you're doing is you're just making up a different set of rules that you're living by, and you, or whoever does that, are judging the rest of the world by your rules. So either way, it's a set of rules that you've got to keep. It's transactional. And what God is saying is that's not how I want to be in relationship with my people. I want to be in relationship with you by grace. I've created you. You've been made in my image. I want you to know me. The best thing for you is to know me and to love me because I'm the most worthy uh, creator, the most worthy thing in the universe. And the more you know me, the more you're going to have peace and joy and hope and life and love. So get to know me because I'm good and I'm good for you. And I'm never going to let you go. Even if you don't keep the rules. Even if you think you can make up your own rules, I'm going to continue to pursue you, and that's what I want you to know. And so, you know, so many people think, you know, religion is a bad thing. Religion, you know, have you heard this? The, the biggest cause of war in the world is religion. Have you heard that? People say that? 30%, according to one study, said that 30% of the people said, religion is the major cause of wars. But did you know about the 1,800 recorded conflicts in history? Only less than 7% were started exclusively for religious purposes. So here's Jesus saying, I want to be in relationship with you. And, and Paul is giving us this, this revolutionary idea. Because the, the relationship that we have with Jesus says this. Yes, there is a set of standards. It's the holy book of the law This revealed through the person of Jesus. There is a set of standards, and it's insurmountable. Right? No one is righteous, no, not one, Paul said to us earlier, quoting the Old Testament. No one is righteous. We have venom coming under our tongues like asps, he said. All right, so we are broken and sinful. And yet we're not crushed. We're not defeated. We're not broken because Jesus allowed himself to become crushed, destroyed, beaten, and broken by going to the cross. And that's the gospel. So we can be in relationship with God, not by keeping the rules, but by knowing Jesus, who was the one who was the fulfillment of all the rules. And so uh, Paul is giving us this example of Abraham, because that's how Abraham lived. So if you are interested and you want to go with me back to Genesis chapter 15, we're going to look at part of the story of, of Abram. Uh, His name was changed from Abram to Abraham later on, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abram to leave his family and to go to this place, and he did. He just left. And can you imagine, you know, we we move around the country and we have moved from different places and things like that, but this this, uh, culture was traditional. It was family-oriented. And so for someone to say move from your family was to leave your whole safety and social structure to leave everything, to be obedient to this God. And Abram, Abram did. And so um, he experiences these challenges. He faces um, difficulty within his family. Um, in chapter 15, here's what it says in Genesis. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. You see, God had promised him a child. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God has promised Abram a descendant, a son, an heir. And that was a really big deal, to carry on the family name. And yet here is Abram, and he's probably in his mid-80s, and he hasn't been given a son to this point. And yet God is saying, go out and look at the stars. Uh, it was earlier this week, I was out really early in the morning. And I just noticed it was a really clear morning. And it was one of those mornings where you could just really see the stars in a beautiful way. I was just, wow. And I think about how little I see the stars because, you know, when you get home from work and you go inside and you're undercover, uh, we're not really outside all that much at night, but if you ever are, and especially when you're in a place where the, star, where the lights, the ambient light is not that bright, you can really see one summer. And we had some little flashlights, that was it. it was, the stars were so bright and amazing, you could just see so many of them. It was awesome. And so when you think about going out and seeing stars, we can just see a few, but imagine Abram, he was outside, there was no artificial light except for a lamp, and that was probably out. So his eyes had been accustomed to the dark. He could look up and see the stars. And imagine what he's thinking. Here he is, a man who has no child. He has no son. There's been a promise of a son. And God says, look at the stars. So shall your offspring be. It's an amazing thing. And what does Abram do? This is one of the most important verses, I think, in the whole entire Bible. And he believed the Lord... And he counted it to him, and he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. This is the phrase that Paul quotes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. He says, Now what do the scriptures say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The word uh, counted, sometimes it's um, credited to him. Essentially what God is doing is here. is essentially God is saying, Abram, I see your belief in me. You believe in the promise of an heir, of a son that will come. And because you believe, I'm making you righteous. I am not operating with you in a transactional way. You don't have to do anything for me, Abram. By faith, as you believe in me, I'm looking at you, and you've been made righteous. Right, we talked about the righteousness of God a lot last week. Like, What does it mean that God gives us his righteousness? That means we have right standing before God. This is the big, uh, big theological term, right? Justification, which means and if I've justified, it means just as if I'd never sinned. Abram because of his faith in God, his belief in God, the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So by trust in the Lord, Abraham was made righteous for God. And here Paul is saying this to the Roman church. He's giving this example because he's wanting to, to give them an example of something that they already know and, and kind of reorienting their thinking. Like, hey, you've always known Abraham, and maybe you thought it was the works that you do that make you righteous before God. But I want you to know all along that Abram, by belief in the promise, was made righteous. And so for you and I, as we listen into this conversation between Paul and the church in Rome, and as Paul is telling them this story from the Old Testament, those of us who trust in the promise are made righteous. We're made righteous. That means we have a right standing before God. And that's a revolutionary thing. It's not transactional. We're not getting to God by doing the right stuff. Go to church. Read your Bible. Do the things that you're supposed to do. Be a good person. We're not getting into relationship with God through those things. We're getting into relationship with God because of what God has done to come to us and what he's done. And because of that, then we should rejoice. We're made made free. It's a wonderful thing. And it depends on our faith. So the first point here is faith credited as righteousness, if you're doing the outline. And the next part of this is that it depends on faith. Look at this, verse 13 in Romans. We're going on past what I just read earlier. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. It depends on faith, is what Paul is telling us. It depends on faith. And and essentially, this is the good news of the gospel, right? It's that we, we receive what Jesus has done for us, By faith, not by works, so that none should boast. And then as a response to that, then we live in him. We relate to God by faith. God's promises are not fulfilled to Abraham because of what he did. God's promises are fulfilled to Abraham because of what God has done. And God's promises to us are not fulfilled based on what we've done. But God's promises to us are fulfilled based on what God has done. And we believe that by faith. You know, faith, and by the way, faith isn't something that just says, oh, I, I hope it's going to work out. Or I really, really have to struggle with my faith. I've got to have really strong faith. Like it's this is subjective thing that's dependent upon me. Sometimes I have faith. Sometimes I don't have faith. I love the verse in Mark that's where the dad says, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Right? It's not the amount of faith that I have. Right? It's not um, great faith in God. It's faith in a great God. It's about what God has done. It's what God is, is doing. Not that I can keep the laws or that I can make up my own way. I don't have to, to work so hard anymore. I can rest. I can rejoice. I can live in freedom. I can stop trying to take so many things on to show everybody that I'm a good person or how I was raised or I, I can achieve, look at, look at me, what, what, look at what I've been able to accomplish in my life, all the things that I do, or look at how great my family is. You know, we've worked so hard to, to have a great way of being. I don't have to do those things to be righteous before God. I can relax. I can rest. I can rejoice. I can live in the tension of the mess And to say, you know what? God loves me. I know it. I believe it because it's what he says in his word. Even if I don't always feel it, even if I don't always have great faith in it, I know that God has faith in me. Somehow, for some reason. And it's not because of anything that I've done. It's because of what he's done. Because he loves you that much. He's never going to leave you or he's never going to forsake you. You know, when things are hard, I know that God has already done this. When my life seems out of sorts or out of whack or the budget is totally crazy or the kids keep talking back or my family isn't as I want it to be, I know that God is still sovereign and good and he still loves me. He still loves me because he's already shown me his love on the cross because I'm living by faith. So here's, I just want to do a little application pause right here. I love to ask this question. What is God saying to you? What is God saying to you right now in light of the gospel, in light of what he's done? Maybe you need to ask this question. Where in your life right now are you struggling the most? And what is the thing that is causing you stress? Now, all stress isn't bad, but too much stress can be. What is causing you to lay awake at night? What is the thing that makes you most upset? What are those things? Ask God. Say, God, please reveal to me what I'm trusting in to make me righteous. Right? Is it my reputation in the, in the community? Is it my uh, history of being successful? Is it fear of failure? Is it uh, anxiety about the future or guilt about the past? What, what is it? And ask the Lord to say, God, give me your favor. Give me your righteousness in this moment. Help me to see myself not defined by the actions I should have taken or the actions I should not have taken or how I'm perceived by people, whether or not people like me. Help me to see myself as you see me, justified, made whole, redeemed, person worthy of love help me lord to see that and then let it affect how i live in the midst of that situation maybe i need to say no to some things maybe i need to extend forgiveness maybe i need to take action to meet a need that i could only meet if i had the confidence of god working within me what is it that god is saying to you This is our opportunity in light of what God has done not to earn our salvation, right? We know we can't do that, but it's to say, Lord, in light of what you've done, here's what I want to do. What is God saying to you? In the last section here, he talks about being as good as dead. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to just read this part to you. It's verse 18 of chapter 4. I know we're going all the way through 4. You could spend a long time on chapter 4, but we're going to do it in a week. Verse 18. 18. He says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. See, the end of the story here is that Abram's name is changed to Abraham. So here's a practical thing that Abraham did as a result of his encounter with God, a practical, specific thing. In order to believe the promise, he had to live the promise. Abram means um, father of many abraham means father of an extensive or a vast nation imagine being a hundred years old with no children and hearing a word from the lord that says your name is now no longer abram it's abraham and going to your wife and say hey by the way honey call me abraham now because i'm the father of an extensive nation i know you've known me as abram for a hundred years father, but now I'm going to be Abraham because I'm going to be father of an extensive nation. And they're looking at you like, old man, you're a 100. And yet Abraham believed in the promise. He believed, and so he said, call me Abraham. Now, this doesn't mean that Abraham's a perfect person. We're not trying to aspire to be Abraham, because if you want to delve down into the story, we know that Abraham, there were moments where he didn't trust, right? Allah Hagar and Ishmael. And yet, God still used him, and Paul describes him as a man of faith. He's the example that points to the greater example, right? The greater example who is Jesus. Verse 23, "...but the words it was counted to him were not written for Abraham's sake alone, but for ours also." It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, all this whole story moves us to Jesus. That we trust in God and his salvation and he counts it as righteousness to us. And that's the transformation. See, the power doesn't come from believing in Abraham. The power comes from believing in Jesus. So whatever it was that God was telling you to do in that moment, the power you have to do it, to forgive, to heal, to confess, to work, to do, the power comes from Jesus. Because he's conquered sin and he's conquered death. He's conquered your fear, your anxiety, your struggle, your hardship, your past, your present, your future. He's conquered all of that. And he demonstrated it most powerfully and most beautifully on the cross. It's not like he's just saying, oh, hey, you know, you're going to make it. No, he's saying, I'm coming in to enter into your life and to give you the hope that you need in the midst of the struggle that you're facing right now. And I want you to believe in that promise. And even when you struggle with believing that promise, I want you to know that I'm going to fulfill it. Now, this is not some name it, claim it kind of theology where we're like, oh, I'm believing I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to write that stewardship card. I'm going to return it like this, and I bled the blessing in, and I get that. It's not how it works. You give your money to the Lord... He gives your gift to the Lord, and he uses it in the way that he wants to use it. But you know what you get when you give to the Lord? You get Jesus. You get the one who has been through everything, the one who struggled, the one who suffered, the one who died, the one who rose again. He's with you in the midst of whatever it is you're facing. And so as we begin to close the service and end the sermon, we're thinking about what is this promise that God has given to us? Do you believe in the promise? Are you in relationship with God in a relational way or have you been trying to do transactions? This is an opportunity to say, Lord, I want to be in relationship with you. I I want that grace and that mercy and that joy, the, the the river of forgiveness. I want that more and more in my life. And as a result of that, God, then I'm going to give you everything I have. All my intellect, my creativity, my passion, Everything that I'm going to do, Lord, is going to be for you, and I'm going to just trust you with it all. So I invite you as we, um, as I invite the team to come forward and, and lead us in song, uh, as we are presenting our gifts uh, to the Lord. Come on up. Come on. Come on. As we are presenting our gifts to, uh, to, to God, as you walk down and put it in the basket, if you want to write something else on the back of that card, you say, God, I'm going to give this to you, I'm going to dedicate this to you, whatever that is, Make sure you write it down on a piece of paper so you remember. But if you're writing it down and giving it to the Lord, I hope you remember. Say, Lord, what is it that you want me to have? Because I'm, I'm going to stand. This is the song that we're going to close with. this standing on the promises. We're going to stand on the promise that God is going to provide for his ministry, his work, what he wants to do. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, Maturing God's People to Serve a Hurting World. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandprez.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.